Vision Access, a magazine by, for, and about people with low vision. Volume 16, number 1, Spring 2009. Published quarterly for members in three formats, large print, four-track cassette, email, audio CD, or data CD. Copyright 2009 by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, a not-for-profit organization affiliated with the American Council of the Blind. Recorded by the volunteers of the Northern California Unit of Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic. Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201, 1-800-733-2258, www.cclvi.org, info at cclvi.org. Views expressed in Vision Access are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the editor or of CCLVI. All rights revert to individual contributors upon publication. Vision Access welcomes submissions from people with low vision, from professionals such as ophthalmologists, optometrists, low vision specialists, and everyone with something substantive to contribute to the ongoing discussion of low vision and all of its ramifications. Submissions are best made as attachments to email. Submissions may also be made in clear type script. Vision Access cannot assume responsibility for lost manuscripts. Deadlines for submissions are March 1, June 1, September 1, and December 1. Submissions may be mailed to Joyce Kleiber, Editor, 6 Hillside Road, Wayne, Pennsylvania, 19087, or jmkleiber at hotmail.com. Contents from the Editor, page 4. Track 2. Organization News, President's Message, Sharing Low Vision Experiences by John Horst, page 5. Track 3. CCLVI Marks 30 Years, How CCLVI Began by Joyce Kleiber, page 7. Track 4. Plans for CCLVI's Convention by Coletta Davis, page 8. Track 5. An Invitation to Talk About Low Vision with Dr. Bill by Bernice Kendarian, page 10. Track 6. Summary of CCLVI Board Meeting, page 11. Track 7. Chapter News, page 12. Track 8. Vision Access, now available in additional formats, page 14. Track 9. In Memoriam, Patricia L. Price by Joyce Kleiber, page 15. Track 10. Advocacy, Progress Report on Resource Booklets by Carolyn Burley, page 18. Track 11. Don't Overlook This Tax Credit by Eric Bridges, page 20. Track 12. Quality of Life, The Work of Descriptive Video Service by Mary Watkins, page 21. Track 13. Clearing Up the Digital Confusion by Carlos Gorgi, page 30. Track 14. Fonts for Readers with Low Vision, page 40. Track 15. A Font, A Font for Low Vision, page 42. Track 16. Poetry, Affirmation by Sister Marie Leclerc Lowe, SSND, page 43. Track 17. Confirmation by Mike Vogel, page 43. Track 18. Assistive Technology. Verizon Wireless offers mobile accessibility, page 44. Track 19. Saratech to launch online radio station, page 46. Track 20. Envision America, Inc. offers script talk, page 48. Track 21. New Navigation and Information Technology, page 50. Track 22. New version of Smart View from Humanware, page 52. Track 23. Recipe, Tomato Crab Soup, page 54. Track 24. Request for Contributions, page 55. Track 25. Resources, page 55. Track 26.
2009 Membership Application Page 57, Track 27. CCLBI Officers and Board Members, Page 58, Track 28. Chapter Contacts, Page 59. Track 29. Page 4, from the Editor. CCLBI is celebrating its 30th anniversary. I'm glad that there is a CCLBI. I am the only one on my block, at my office, in my choir, at my gym with low vision. I like knowing other people who have low vision. CCLBI makes this possible. I like reading about low vision. I never saw much in print about low vision until I joined CCLVI. In his president's message on page 5, John Horst invites members to share their experiences. We'd love to hear from you. This is what CCLVI is about. CCLVI is responsive to its members. Read about Jill Feldman. Jill has never been to a CCLVI convention or even held an office in our chapter, but she has a good idea. Her idea is being realized because she spoke and we listened. See an invitation to talk about low vision with Dr. Bill in this issue. Let us hear your ideas. As we mark our 30th year, I invite you to tell us how CCLVI has touched your life. I'll include your thoughts with those of others in an article in Vision Access. Send an email to me, jmkleiber at hotmail.com, or write to me at 6 Hillside Road, Wayne, Pennsylvania, 19087. Thanks to all who contributed to this issue. JMK, March 3rd, 2009. Page 5, Organization News, President's Message, Sharing Low Vision Experiences by Don Horst. During the last two years, the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind Low Vision Committee has been planning low vision seminars for the Pennsylvania State Convention. This has led us to reflect on the dynamics of low vision and how this disability can affect everyday living. I'm certain that all of us who have this disability have given a great deal of thought to how we should function on the job, at home with family and friends, and in our representative communities. Many of us continue to evaluate our responses when meeting with people who do not know us or when we find ourselves in unfamiliar circumstances. As for me, growing up in a very rural area of Pennsylvania and in a family where religious concerns were primary and where people with similar beliefs were the only ones I was encouraged to associate with, I always tried to function as a sighted person. Page 6. As most all people with low vision know, we can hide our limited vision much of the time, but there will always be those occurrences when we will be found out and then feel frustrated or embarrassed. Of course, as we mature, we get beyond these feelings and hopefully conclude that it is okay to be a person with low vision. However, we make the choice daily. Should I try to function as a sighted person, knowing that in most occasions I will be able to do so, or should I let it be known that I am a person with low vision by wearing a tag or by carrying a white cane? This first scenario requires much concentration and often leads to much anxiety and stress. The second scenario marks us as people with a disability and may result in feelings of inadequacy and negative self-esteem. All people with low vision who read this will think about their own experiences and could tell their own story. Vision Access, our great CCLVI magazine, provides CCLVI members an opportunity to tell about their experience in losing vision or growing up as a person with low vision. We would like to see our editor receive more such stories from CCLVI members. How did you deal with your experience of low vision at home, in school, on the job, and in social settings? Your story may help someone else and will benefit from telling it. Page 7, CCLVI Marks 30 Years, How CCLVI Began, by Joyce Kleiber. 
This year, 2009, marks the 30th anniversary of CCLVI's charter as a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. CCLVI was the idea of two blind gentlemen, Derwood McDaniel and L. Eugene Apple. Derwood McDaniel was a civil rights attorney and one of the pillars of the American Council of the Blind. He was the first national representative of ACB in Washington, D.C. Derwood and Eugene were convinced that forming special interest affiliates in ACB was important for building a strong organization. They encouraged the development of affiliates for lawyers, vendors, computer users, secretaries, and people with low vision. At the ACB convention in 1977, people held an organizing meeting for CCLV. CCLV became CCLVI in the early 90s. In 1978, under the leadership of Dr. Sam Janensky, a constitution was ratified and submitted to ACB. CCLV received its charter as a special interest affiliate of ACB in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1979. In addition to Dr. Janensky, Marvin Brotman, Ira Bossert, Elizabeth Lennon, Carl Foley, and Patricia Price were some of the strong leaders who established CCLV. We plan to commemorate this anniversary in Vision Access. In our next issue, we will feature an article by George Covington, the first editor of CCLV News, the forerunner of Vision Access. That CCLVI has continued for 30 years demonstrates that it has value for its members. We want to know how CCLVI has touched your life. We will treasure your responses and share them with readers in future issues. Send your thoughts and comments to me by email, jmkleiber at hotmail.com, or by mail at 6 Hillside Road, Wayne, Pennsylvania, 19087. Page 8. Plans for CCLVI's Convention by Coletta Davis Coletta Davis has been busy planning the program for CCLVI's annual convention. We will meet from July 4 to July 10, 2009 in Orlando, Florida. Our theme this year is CCLVI celebrates 30 years. Here are some of the highlights. On July 5, Coletta has scheduled a panel discussion entitled Friends, Lovers, Parents, and Kids Living with Vision Loss. Page 9. Following this panel, vendors exhibiting their products and services for people with low vision at the convention will showcase their offerings. CCLVI's Mixer at 4 p.m. gives all of us a wonderful chance to meet and mingle and celebrate. Sunday's program ends with our dance at 9.30. Dwayne Hodges will be our DJ for this event. On Monday afternoon, July 5, Roger Peterson will tell us how we can gain up-to-the-minute information about our health concerns from the Health Library a service that provides information in accessible formats. After Roger's presentation, we will hear from Dr. James Nolan of Envision. Dr. Nolan will talk about technology and low vision. In the evening, we will offer everyone a chance to play at our game night. On Tuesday, July 7, Officer Reginald Roberts of the Orlando Police Department will tell us how to protect ourselves from identity theft. Our business meeting with election of officers and our post-convention board meeting will follow. On Wednesday afternoon, July 8, we will have a workshop about CCLVI's Project Insight. Our convention program concludes with our farewell dance following the convention banquet on Friday evening. We hope to meet and get to know you at our convention in Orlando. Page 10, an invitation to talk about low vision with Dr. Bill. 
About a year ago, Jill Feldman, a member of the Delaware Valley Council of Citizens with Low Vision, shared a good idea with us. Jill suggested that CCLVI offer teleconference calls to members so that they could learn more about their particular vision conditions. She said a doctor who specializes in low vision could be featured on these calls. Bernice Kandarian, CCLVI's past president, was looking for a way to offer more services to our members. She took Jill's idea to Dr. Bill Takashita, a low vision optometrist. Dr. Bill agreed to host the teleconference calls. Dr. Bill is the Director of Optometric Services at the Center for the Partially Sighted in Los Angeles, California. Callers will have the opportunity to ask questions about low vision. Teleconferences are scheduled for the third Tuesday of each month at 8.30 Eastern Time and 5.30 Pacific Time and will last for about an hour. The first teleconference will be held on March 17. The next call is scheduled for April 21. To be a part of these teleconferences, dial 866-633-8638 and use the ID number 372455 or Dr. Bill. Page 11, Summary of CCLVI Board Meeting. CCLVI's officers and board members met by conference call on January 30, 2009. Kathy Casey's minutes of our previous meeting were accepted as corrected. Mike Godino's treasurer's report was also accepted. Donna Pomerantz gave a legislative report concerning the ADA Restoration Act, DTV, and audio description. The Department of Defense's plans to no longer give priority to Randolph Shepard vendors and the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act. Catherine Schmidt-Whitaker gave her scholarship committee report. This committee is preparing to process the many applications expected. Coletta Davis reported on her plans for CCLVI's convention program. Joyce Kleiber agreed to represent CCLVI at the National Eye Institute's National Eye Health Education Program Conference in Philadelphia this March. Joel Isaac's website committee is being formed and includes Barbara Milleville, Jim Jurek, and Don Pomerantz. Brian Petritz will join the legislative committee, and Lindsay Hastings will accept a committee appointment where she is needed. The board will next meet on April 10. Page 12. Chapter News. California Council of Citizens with Low Vision, CCCLV. We are having our convention in Sacramento from April 2 to 5, 2009. On Thursday, we are joining with the Technology Committee of the California Council of the Blind. They're having Don Glass, who represents Bookshare, a company that offers books free of charge for students and for an annual fee to others. We will also learn about the Victor Reader Stream. Then James McCarthy of Freedom Vision will tell us what's new in products for people with low vision. On Friday, we will have a joint program with the Committee on Access to Transportation. Saturday, we'll feature a joint session with the Seniors with Vision Loss Committee. Sue Milrose from Hadley School for the Blind will speak about Hadley's online courses and classes offered to sighted people. For information about this chapter, call 800-733-2258. Delaware Valley Council of Citizens with Low Vision, DVCCLV. Our chapter members gathered to share information and support and to enjoy a buffet of Chinese favorites on March 14. For information about our chapter, call 610-688-8398. Page 13. Metropolitan Council of Low Vision Individuals, MCLVI. Looking good, looking close. Metro Chapter's advocacy profile was even higher than usual during the last week of February. 
Our chapter was one of many public transportation-related not-for-profit organizations, governmental agencies, and private sector companies gathered at New York University for its annual transportation awards ceremonies. The chapter was one of the active participants in the discussions at the monthly open meeting of the Transit Riders Council of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, and our chapter was at the table at the bi-monthly closed session of the ADA Advisory Committee to the New York City Parks Department. Also during that week, President Ken Stewart and Chapter Secretary Todd Wallerstein participated in the monthly meeting of the Manhattan Borough President's Disabilities Task Force and the quarterly sessions of the Transit Authority's ADA Compliance Coordinating Committee. Earlier in February, President Ken Stewart attended his first quarterly meeting as a newly appointed member of the New York State Independent Living Council in Albany. In December, he was appointed to that position by the New York State Board of Regents. His presence on the Council's Board of Directors extends the influence of CCLVI following the completion of two three-year terms served by CCLVI Treasurer Mike Godino on the Council, which supports independent living centers throughout the state. For information about this chapter, call 845-985-2955. Page 14, Vision Access, now available in additional formats. You can continue to read Vision Access in large print, cassette, and email subscription. We are now offering Vision Access on either audio CD or data CD. The audio CD can be put into your CD player. The data CD goes into your computer for you to access information through your computer. This data CD has files that you can search. It's a replacement for a floppy disk. Indicate your preference by calling our 800 line. Joel Isaac, our webmaster, has updated CCLVI's web-based version of Vision Access, Volume 15, Number 4, with audio links so people can listen to or download the audio for the articles in this issue. Take a look and listen at the web, cclvi.org slash v-a-c-c-e-s-s slash va one five zero four dot hdm. Page 15, In Memoriam, Patricia L. Price by Joyce Kleiber. Patricia L. Price, a woman whose life exemplifies ability despite disability, died on February 1, 2009. Pat was a capable human being, passionate in her determination to promote quality of life for people experiencing vision loss. Her enthusiasm showed in her voice. Pat experienced vision loss in her own life. At age 16, a speck of dirt lodged in her iris, causing extreme pain. She then became blind for many years and deaf for five years. Pat became convinced of the importance of service to others. Pat said, volunteering is the rent we pay for the space we occupy on Earth. Pat accomplished so many things despite vision loss and other health challenges. While blind, Pat attended college and earned a Bachelor of Education degree. She then worked in the insurance industry, where she had a long and productive career. Page 16. After 20 years, Pat regained some sight. Her vision was enhanced by low-vision technologies. This led to career advancement as Pat gained a management position for an Indianapolis life insurance company. She held this post for 20 years. Pat worked tirelessly to reach out with information and support to people struggling with vision loss. 
Pat and George Covington worked together to establish CCLV News, the forerunner of Vision Access. For four years in the early 1990s, Pat Price served as president of CCLVI. She established the CCLVI office and our 800 telephone line. Pat organized a bingo program to help fund CCLVI activities. Pat initiated and got things done. After concluding her work in CCLVI, Pat began her own organization, Vision Worldwide. In this organization, Pat continued to provide people with information and support, and thus dispel many fears about facing life with limited vision. Thousands of people have benefited from Pat's lifetime of dedication to this cause. Pat also served as the webmaster and treasurer of Library Users of America, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. She and her husband, Marvin, founded the American Council of the Blind of Indiana, and Pat served in a variety of positions with this group. Pat was vice president of the National Accreditation Council of Agencies Serving the Blind and Visually Handicapped. In the early 90s, Pat completed three terms as national secretary of the American Council of the Blind. Page 17. Pat was a member of the Lighthouse International Advisory Committee and chaired a governor-appointed advisory committee at the Indiana School for the Blind. She co-founded and served in a variety of capacities with numerous special interest groups of the American Council of the Blind. She served as a Virginia M. Wolf Foundation board member. She was the membership chair and treasurer of the Indiana Policyholder Service Association and president of the Indianapolis Insurance Women's Association. Pat was the first recipient of the Patricia L. Price Distinguished Service Award, an honor given her by the American Council of the Blind of Indiana. The award was created in her name and honors blind and visually impaired people who have contributed to the improvement of life for their peers. She was named Businesswoman of the Year and was a recipient of the Jefferson Award. In 1982, she received the prestigious George Card Award from the American Council of the Blind for her international outreach efforts. Additionally, she is the recipient of three Sir Thomas Service to Mankind Awards. Page 18, Advocacy. Progress Report on Resource Booklets by Carolyn Burley. Members of the Star County Chapter of the American Council of the Blind of Ohio put together a booklet of resources for people losing their vision. A grant from DeBolt Incorporated funded the printing of our booklet. Our booklet was printed in October 2008. I was interviewed by one of the local radio stations about this resource book. My interview was broadcast on two different days, one in December and one in January. After both airings, I received over 20 calls requesting booklets. I also put a press release in three local newspapers and only received four calls. I planned to ask the papers to run the press release again. Some of the calls came weeks later. Because of this booklet, our group has four new members and several others are considering joining our group. Page 19. I did call some of the people to whom I sent our booklet, and most people thought our booklet was very helpful. I had given copies of our booklet to ophthalmologists to give to their patients. I called these doctors and learned that they hadn't handed out as many booklets as I had hoped. We did receive donations from two of the twelve doctors' offices we contacted. I gave our booklets to the supervisor of the local office of our state's Bureau of Services for the Visually Impaired. He has directed his counselors to offer these booklets to consumers. He said that our booklets have been a help to his staff as well as to consumers. He is also sharing our booklets with other supervisors in the state. 
I have taken our booklets to the school that has a classroom for students who are vision impaired so that the students can take them home and give them to their parents. I also gave them to the mobility instructor that works for the students to give them to her students. If your organization wants to develop a similar resource booklet for people in your area, you can obtain a copy of our booklet to use as a model. To obtain a copy, send an email to carolynmu at sbcglobal.net or reach me by phone through CCLBI's 800 line, 800-733-2258. Page 20, Don't Overlook This Tax Credit by Eric Bridges. Many disabled taxpayers may be overlooking a valuable tax credit that could increase their federal income tax refunds by as much as $4,824. The IRS estimates that up to one in four taxpayers who qualify for the Earned Income Tax Credit, or EITC, fail to claim the credit. Are you one of them? You may qualify if your income was under $41,646 last year and you or your spouse worked or received disability retirement benefits under an employer plan and were under the minimum retirement age. The amount of your EITC depends on several factors, such as the amount of your earned income, your filing status, whether you have children and how many, and so on. Special rules apply if you have a child who is permanently and totally disabled. To get the credit you earned, you must, one, file a federal income tax return, and two, claim the credit. Many communities have volunteer income tax assistance sites or local IRS taxpayer assistance centers who will compute your EITC and prepare your return without charge. To locate a volunteer site, call your community's 211 or 311 number for local services or call the IRS at 1-800-906-9887. Some states have a similar tax credit, increasing the dollars due eligible EITC recipients. Find more information about EITC in alternative formats for people with print disabilities at the web at irs.gov. Follow the home page link to accessibility, then the link to accessible IRS tax products and select the appropriate link to download accessible forms or publications. The IRS website provides accessible electronic files in formats, including ASCII text .txt, braille-ready format .brf, and talking tax forms in PDF that work with MSAA-compliant screen-reading software and braille display devices. Page 21, Quality of Life, the work of descriptive video service by Mary Watkins. Editor's note, Mary Watkins is the Director of Communications at WGBH in Boston. She spoke about DBS at the October 2008 Convention of the California Council of Citizens with Low Vision. Descriptive Video Service, DVS, is a division of WGBH Public Broadcasting in Boston. WGBH produces over a third of the programming for PBS stations nationwide and also a third of the web content on pbs.org. Page 22, we brought description to television after it was being done in Washington, D.C. by Margaret and Cody Fonsteel, the true pioneers in this service. They developed description for live plays. With the advent of stereo television in the late 1980s, we wondered how we could build on what we were doing in terms of closed captioning for audiences who were deaf or hard of hearing. That is how to make a service for people who are blind or visually impaired to help them enjoy TV a little bit more. 
Video description is carefully crafted written narration of key visual elements. Once a description script is completed, we hire professional narrators who insert those descriptions into natural pauses in dialogue. DVS started on PBS, then went to DVS Home Videos, and then it spread to Turner Classic Movies. We now provide description for PBS as well as for four CBS series and for The Simpsons on Fox. Several years ago, there was a description mandate in place for a short span of time, less than a year. Major networks were required to offer about four hours of video description per week. Page 23. The most popular basic cable networks were also required to have about four hours per week of description. This mandate was fought in the Court of Appeals, where the networks indicated they would provide description voluntarily if the mandate was repealed. PBS and CBS continue to offer that same level of description every week, and Fox continues to describe The Simpsons. The other networks, as far as we know, do not provide any video description at this time. We have a three-year project to develop solutions to make in-flight entertainment accessible. Individual entertainment systems will soon be available on seatbacks on airplanes. These actually utilize touchscreen technology, which is completely inaccessible to passengers who cannot see. The content, entertainment programs, and flight information is also inaccessible. We came up with a prototype system based on Panasonic technology, which is very popular and used by many airlines. We actually made spoken menus via a navigation device. There are a certain number of buttons on the device, Easy Access, developed by the Trace Center at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, that could potentially be plugged into your seat armrest. This device would allow passengers to navigate around an in-flight entertainment system. Navigation through these systems and content will be accessible. Page 24. DVS home videos are a much-loved effort. We had to end the DBS HV sales effort this year because Hollywood Studios have stopped manufacturing videos on VHS tape format. Now we're working to convince studios to include video description tracks on DVDs. Universal Studios is offering these. You can find the titles of such DVDs on our website at main.wgbh.org slash wgbh slash pages slash mag slash resources slash accessible hyphen dvds dot html. Many PBS programs are available with DVS on DVD. Press languages on the menu and you will find audio description. On the packaging there will be a letter Cap D with three parentheses following it and the words descriptive video service. The Incredible Hulk is a movie that is described on DVD. We are often asked what individual consumers can do to get more DVDs described. If studios heard directly from consumers who would be impacted favorably, if they would include a description track, this would help our efforts. We list contact information for Hollywood Studios at this page of our site on the web at mopix.org. Page 25. What about description in movie theaters? Bigger chains have made commitments to install captioning and description systems in one auditorium of all new multiplexes. Many theaters are starting to install digital cinema projection systems. These are expensive to install, but actually result in the captioning and DVS technology needed to be less expensive. 
We do hear from patrons that they sometimes have trouble getting correct information about film access features, what a theater offers in terms of accessibility. There is also sometimes confusion on the part of a theater staff between headphones used to deliver description tracks and headphones used by hard-of-hearing patrons to access amplified sound. Because staff turnover at theaters is great, it may be helpful for consumers to give feedback to theater headquarters. Contact information is also available at the website mopix.org. We have developed a MoPix Theater Manager's Guide all about access services about the community, about the patrons, and the various communication needs the patrons might have. Often the guide is used as part of the training ritual for new theater employees. That is the ideal scenario. Page 26, one of our new projects is access to on-screen graphic information that occurs during news broadcasts. This could be weather information, school closing, and so on. You can turn this feature on and off when you want to hear that extra stream of information. For more information and to hear prototype spoken translation of these types of graphics, you can visit the project's website at ncam.wgbh.org slash onscreen slash. The 21st Century Telecommunications Accessibility Act has been introduced in the House, House Bill 6320. If passed into law, this legislation will reinstate the description mandates regarding broadcast television and cable networks offering description on their programs. This bill will also require that local cable companies and satellite providers be responsible for getting audio description to viewers correctly and without interruption. It would also require that whatever device is used to distribute and receive video be accessible to all users. The Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology, the acronym COAT, C-O-A-T, includes American Council of the Blind, the American Foundation for the Blind, WGBH, and many other national, state, and local organizations. Go to the web at coataccess.org, the website at http colon double slash www.coataccess.org slash to learn about the work of this organization, much of it in the areas mentioned in this article. In the past, the description mandates have been opposed by the National Association of Broadcasters, the National Cable Television Association, and the Motion Picture Association of America. Page 27, WGBH's Media Access Group created the website dtvaccess.org to address captioning and description problems arising as a result of the transition to digital TV. The information on description is presented based on the types of TVs and cable boxes used, analog TV with rabbit ears or rooftop antenna, analog TV with cable or satellite, DTV with rabbit ears or rooftop antenna, DTV with cable or satellite. Most programs produced for national broadcasts by WGBH are described. These include Nova, Masterpiece Theater, American Experience, Arthur, and others. We want the descriptions to be part of the online versions that you can download or stream. Please visit your local PBS station's website to access video online. WGBH is branching out and making programs available on Apple's iTunes University for free. On this medium, American Experience, Franklin D. Roosevelt, is available with description. The describers did a beautiful job, and we hope this is the first of many videos available with description via iTunes U. Page 28. 
WGBH is also pursuing making description available on audio-only versions of programs and movies. We call these car movies and hope that mainstream audiences will become interested. We co-produced a recent version of The Wind and the Willows from Masterpiece Classic, which is available as an audio-only file with description. It is available at this site on the web at pbs.org slash wgbh slash masterpiece slash willows slash audio dot html. WGBH started to work with Disney theme parks several years ago. We sent a team of describers to Disney World to describe the attractions It's a Small World, Pirates of the Caribbean, and the Haunted Mansion. Disney has developed a rugged access device a bit bigger than a cell phone, which has the ability to display captions and text or subtitles. The headsets that plug into this device give translations in other languages and audio description. They offer this device to blind and visually impaired guests and ask for their feedback. Disney also plans to offer some environmental description at the park to orient guests to Main Street and other areas. These services will also be available in Disneyland in California. Page 29, WGBH was hired by Very Special Arts, VS Arts of Florida, to describe a traveling art exhibition by VS Art students. The description is still available via cell phones. A free call, 703-637-6780. We'd like to see a lot more description happening for museums. We are currently working with the Whitney Museum in New York to make the Calder exhibit accessible. The Whitney is in the forefront in trying to make their exhibits accessible to all people with disabilities. Finally, for now, we are working with postgraduate science students and professional scientists who are blind or visually impaired to reprioritize how descriptions are created. That is how these professionals want to hear graphs and images described that appear in science-related digital talking books. Recommendations and guidelines for providing description in digital talking books are going to be published soon. We will be publishing these guidelines on our website shortly at ncam.wgbh.org. If readers have any questions, WGBH welcomes them via email at access at wgbh.org or via phone at 617-300-3700. Page 30, Clearing Up the Digital Confusion by Carlos Gorgi. By now, you probably know the story. Television as we know it was supposed to have died last February 17 with a new invention called digital taking its place. It turned out that rumors of the old system's demise were somewhat exaggerated. The plug will be pulled, but not until June 12. So those who were unprepared last February will have a short reprieve. The older system is known as analog. What's the difference? This will be a little graphic, but basically analog is like toothpaste. It comes in a continuous flow while digital is like bird droppings and comes in discrete packets. To greatly simplify, in an analog transmission, the carrier wave forms a continuous image or analog of the program being broadcast, while in a digital transmission, the program information is sent out in tiny little bits. These bits of data are reassembled in your TV and magically take form as picture and sound. So why the change? Many reasons. Digital transmissions are more efficient and occupy less bandwidth than analog. The same space that one analog channel uses can accommodate several digital channels. Page 31. Therefore, switching to digital will free portions of the broadcast spectrum for other uses, such as public safety communications, police fire, and rescue operations. Another reason for the change is the broadcast quality. 
Digital signals, when you can get them, are better quality and even allow for broadcasting in high definition, or HD. A third reason is economics. Part of the newly available spectrum will be auctioned off to broadcasters and providers of wireless services, such as wireless broadband. There are huge economic interests pushing for the transition. In short, it's going to happen, and there's no going back. So how does this affect you? You may have heard that if you are already a cable or satellite customer, then you don't need to give it a second thought. That's true, unless you're interested in keeping your video description. But first, let's talk about those converter boxes. The boxes you can get using a coupon from the government have nothing to do with the boxes your cable or satellite company provides. The former are for older TV sets that still receive programming over the air, or as we say with the good old rabbit ears, if you have an older set that has no digital tuner and you are not a cable or satellite customer, then you will need one of these government-subsidized boxes in order to receive programming. Page 32. But will a box be sufficient? That's a question to which many won't know the answer until after the transition. While public service announcements have greatly hyped those boxes, they have mentioned practically nothing about the antennas needed to make the boxes work. And that may turn out to be the dirty little secret of the digital transition. What many consumers don't know is that tuning a digital signal is not like tuning in the stations that you're currently used to. If an analog signal is weak, the program will still come through, though it may be snowy or have static. Digital signals are more finicky. They are all or nothing. When the signal is good, it is great, but if it's not just right, you will get no signal at all. In addition, the UHF frequencies that digital stations use are line of sight and very much subject to interference by objects that get in the way, such as buildings or trees. This means that unless you have access to an outdoor antenna, you may be out of luck. People have already been reporting problems with indoor antennas, and many who rely on such antennas are expected to lose at least some, if not all, of their stations once the transition occurs. Yet, for many apartment dwellers, outdoor antennas are simply not an option. This is a problem that no delay in the transition date will fix, and we will have to wait to see exactly just how many it will affect. Page 33. So if you have an older TV and no cable service, get yourself one of those converter boxes, try it for an outdoor antenna, and pray. A TV set with a digital tuner that receives programming over the air will not need a converter box. How do you know if your TV has a digital tuner? While few sets made before 2004 have them, if your set is more recent, there is a good chance that it has such a tuner, and the newer your set, the better the odds. All current sets have digital tuners, or at least should come with a warning if they don't. Now let's talk about video description, and here's where it gets really interesting. Will you still be able to count on video description after the transition? This is not a simple question, and you may not necessarily be able to rely on what your telephone representative tells you. Just be glad if you manage to find one who even knows what video description is. A little background. What you now know as SAP, Secondary Audio Program, will no longer exist after the digital transition. It will be replaced by what's called Associated Audio Services, page 34. So instead of seeing the familiar choice of stereo, mono, SAP, when you press your SAP button, you may see something like English 1, English 2, or Service 1, Service 2, or English slash Spanish. But despite the label, the second choice will carry video description when available. There are actually eight possible audio channels under the new system instead of the previous two, but all eight might never actually be used. 
At this time, what you're likely to see in a video described digital broadcast will be two channels with a second channel carrying the description, even though the label may look strange. Even though, strictly speaking, SAP, but not video description, will be a thing of the past, some digital TV sets still come with an SAP button on the remote. On most sets, however, the button is labeled MTS for multi-channel television sound. Not all digital televisions will have this button on the remote. If you want this feature, it's important to check before you buy. How can you receive video description in the digital age? First, if you are not a cable or satellite subscriber and are using a converter box, be sure to get a box that passes the video description through, because not all of them do. Page 35. The FCC has prepared a document listing converter box models that support both closed captioning and video description, and you may download it here at fcc.gov slash cgb slash consumer facts slash converterboxfeatures.pdf. The document even tells which boxes have an SAP button on the remote. If you are a cable or satellite subscriber, things are a bit more complicated than you may have been led to believe. I will be speaking now in terms of cable, but as far as I know, for these purposes, satellite works the same way. Your cable provider will want to rent you a box at a monthly fee. In spite of what your cable rep may tell you, not all cable boxes support video description. If you decide to rely on a cable box, make sure you get a model that passes the video description through. If you are not sure, then get the model numbers of the boxes your provider offers and either call a company that makes the box or download the manual off the net if you can. Don't just rely on the word of a telephone rep unless you can tell the person is truly knowledgeable. Page 36. Now here is something your provider won't tell you. The cable box is not the only way cable subscribers can get video description. In fact, for visually impaired users, it may not even be the best way because with cable boxes, you have to deal with on-screen menus that are not usually accessible. There is another way which for many users can even make renting a cable box unnecessary. First, just a little more technical detail. A television tuner is a circuit in your TV that converts the broadcast transmission into audio and video signals you can watch as programs on separate channels. Three types of tuners are used in American TV sets, NTSC, ATSC, and QAM. NTSC is the old-fashioned tuner on analog sets. After the digital transition, it will cease to be relevant. ATSC will replace NTSC and is used to capture digital transmissions over the air. All new TV sets are required by law to have ATSC tuners. QAM tuners supplement NTSC and allow your TV to receive unscrambled digital transmissions through a cable but without a cable box. New TV sets are not required to have QAM tuners, but most of them do. If your set has a QAM tuner, you have another and possibly easier way to receive video description. Page 37. The FCC requires cable providers to continue offering basic broadcast stations in unscramble form. What basic broadcast means may vary with the provider, but at the very least, it will include channels 2 through 13, which cover most programming that is video described. With a QAM tuner, you should be able to receive these stations through a direct cable connection to your TV without a box. If basic stations are all you want to watch, you should not even need a cable box. Just hook up the cable to your TV and you're good to go. 
There is both an advantage and a disadvantage to this procedure. The advantage is that if you are accessing stations directly and not through a box, your TV and not the box will process the video description, which means that the MTS or SAP button on your TV remote will work. That button will not work if you are using a cable box, which requires you to fiddle with on-screen menus. So by using this direct connection, a blind person can turn video description on and off without sighted assistance. Why not just leave video description on all the time? Because on some programs that are not described, the second audio channel may still be present but have no audio signal, in which case you will hear nothing at all. Page 38. The disadvantage is that you may have to get used to new channel numbers. This may feel weird at first. While cable companies are required to broadcast basic stations in the clear, they are not obligated to keep the same numbers you may be used to. And since, as we have mentioned, several digital channels can fit into the same space as a single analog channel, you may have to deal with subnumbers. For example, channel 4 may now be channel 20-4 or channel 20.4, and channel 5 may now be channel 20-5 or something else entirely. This is why remotes of digital TV sets have a dash button. If you are tuning these stations without a cable box, you will have to search through the numbers until you find those assigned to the stations you want to watch. Your cable provider will not supply you with a printed guide to these numbers, similar to the guide you get for stations you tune through a cable box. You are on your own, but a little extra effort can pay a big dividend. Now you may ask, what if I want all the extra stations that a cable box can give me? You don't have to give them up to use this method. It is easy to have the best of both worlds, since new television sets come with plenty of inputs. With an inexpensive device called a splitter that you can get from Radio Shack, you can split the cable from the wall into two branches. Page 39. One branch goes to your cable box and the other goes directly into your TV. The TV set can easily toggle between these two sources. This way, you can get total control over video description through the direct connection and all the upper-level stations through the box connection. So while the digital transition has made life confusing for many of us, it also affords us more viewing options if we know how to take advantage of them. We've covered a lot of information here, some of which you won't get from your cable company. Some of you may have questions, and we have a forum available for you to post them. We have a list at Google Groups that is open to members and supporters of CCLVI. Members of this group can post messages to CCLVI at googlegroups.com. If you are not a member, you may write to me at laflauta at hotmail.com, and I will send you an invitation. But please post your questions to the group rather than sending them to me personally so that all may benefit. Page 40, Fonts for Readers with Low Vision. Editor's Note, this article is based on research by Mansfield, J. Stephen, Gordon E. Leggy, and Mark C. Bain, as reported in Psychophysics of Reading, Roman 15, Font Effects in Normal and Low Vision, Investigative Ophthalmology and Visual Science, July 1996. These days, people with low vision have more and more materials to read. As our population of senior citizens grows, materials previously available only in small print are now commonly prepared in large print. We need to pay attention to how we format these materials, whether in hard copy or electronic media, to give readers with low vision optimum comfort and efficiency. Studies by Drs. Mansfield, Legge, and Bain at the University of Minnesota show that certain fonts provide significant advantages to readers who have low vision as well as to those with normal vision. 
These researchers tested readers using fixed-width fonts, variable-width fonts, proportional, serif with tails and curlicues, and sans-serif fonts to see how they affected reading speeds and acuities. They found that people with low vision had higher reading speeds and better reading acuities when they used sans-serif fonts with fixed width. Page 41. Although differences in speed and acuities were smaller than for the low-vision group, they found the same to be true for readers with normal vision. They concluded that the choice of font could make a significant difference in both normal and low-vision reading performance. When you prepare materials, you can enhance reading performance by observing a few simple rules. These rules hold true for both people with low vision and those with normal vision. The benefits may be appreciated more by readers who have low vision. These rules are... 1. Employ fonts without serifs, A-P-H-O-N-T, Verdana, Arial, Helvetica. 2. Employ fonts with a fixed width, A-P-H-O-N-T, Verdana, Arial, Helvetica. 3. Use bold letters whenever possible. 4. Use a font, Verdana, Arial, or Helvetica, as the default font in electronic media. Be sure to provide good contrast between the background color and the print color. Black on white is good, but for many readers, white on black or yellow on black is better. Six, make sure the print size is large enough for your reader to use comfortably. Fancy fonts and italics may look attractive to you. For the reader with low vision, however, they can be confusing and sometimes impossible to read. When preparing materials for readers with low vision, a simple rule of thumb is the simpler, the bolder, the better. Page 42, a font APH in caps ONT, a font for low vision. Editors note this article by Elaine Kitchell was reprinted from Technology Update, Volume 14, Fall Winter 1998, pages 29 to 30, updated 8-2002, a font added. APHONT, pronounced A font, was developed by the American Printing House specifically for low vision readers. A font embodies characteristics that have been shown to enhance reading speed, comprehension, and comfort for large print readers. The entire A font suite, regular bold, italic, and italic bold, is available free of charge on the APH website. Features of A font include Higher crossbars, no serifs, wider letters, heavier letters, letters more open, larger punctuation marks. A font makes no claim that a font is an appropriate font for children who are just learning to read. How to request a font? Before downloading a font, users must validate that a font will be used by or for people who are visually impaired. Visit the web at aph.org slash products, aphont.html, to fill out a short verification form. You will then be able to download the font. Click this link for instructions on using a font on a Mac. Page 43, Poetry. Editor's Note. After reading Affirmation, a poem by Sister Marie Leclerc Lowe, SSND, Mike Vogel was inspired to write his poem, Confirmation. Affirmation by Sister Marie Leclerc Lowe, SSND. A small bird's heart bursts with joy when another listens to her song. Confirmation by Mike Vogel. Clear notes wafting from the lake shore leave indelible marks on the soul. Remind us that the most beautiful music is the sound of another's voice. Clarion call sends a sermonette message that every moment is a miracle, and if we wish to sing, we can find our song, and if blessed, someone to listen to it. Page 44, Assistive Technology. 
Verizon Wireless offers mobile accessibility. Verizon Wireless announced the availability of Talks for Verizon Wireless. Talks, T-A-L-K-S, is a new assistive technology that converts displayed text into highly intelligible speech for Verizon Wireless customers who are blind or visually impaired. Available initially on MOTOT Q9C smartphones beginning March 15, Talks for Verizon Wireless supports audio feedback for writing and reading text messages, email, and notes. Powered by Nuance Communications, Inc., NASDAQ Simul, N-U-A-N, Talks for Verizon Wireless uses ETI, Eloquence Text-to-Speech software, similar to other screen reading packages on Windows or PC platforms, to offer visually impaired and blind customers instant familiarity and the highest intelligibility. Page 45, with the Talks application, the Moto MOTO Q9C from Verizon Wireless can... Read the caller ID of an incoming call, dial a number from the phone's contacts directory, add and edit entries in the contacts directory, read and write text messages and email, read and write documents using mobile office, access and compose multimedia message service, MMS messages, use mobile Internet Explorer to access the Internet, control speech volume and rate of speech. The Talks application helps Verizon Wireless provide the best wireless experience for our customers who are visually impaired, said Jeffrey Dietl, Vice President Marketing Operations for Verizon Wireless. Talks for Verizon Wireless turns the Moto Q9C smartphone into a communications tool that will help customers with impaired vision stay connected to family, friends, and colleagues through methods beyond voice calls. The Moto Q9C with Talks for Verizon Wireless will be available online at verizonwireless.com on March 15 for $249.99 after a $70 online instant rebate with a new two-year customer agreement. Existing Moto Q9C customers who wish to add the Talks application should contact Verizon Wireless Customer Service at 800-922-0204. Customers can learn more about Talks for Verizon Wireless by visiting the website verizonwireless.com slash accessibility. For more information about Verizon Wireless products and services, visit a Verizon Wireless communications store. Call one 800 Arabic number 2, J-O-I-N-I-N, or go to verizonwireless.com. Page 46, Serotech to launch online radio station. Serotech Corporation, a leading provider of Internet and digital information accessibility software and services, will launch a new online radio station this week. The station is called SAMNET. S-A-M-N-E-T radio and can be heard from the web at radio.samobile.net slash. The name of the station is derived from Serotech's online community. The System Access Mobile Network or S-A-M-N-E-T. SAMnet Radio will air the best music of the last 40 years, the latest technology news, live and interactive voice chats, and a portal for all to know what is happening in the SAMnet community. Directed at an audience who is blind or has low vision, SAMnet Radio's slogan is, Your Station, Your Community. 
Page 47. The station's manager is Michael Lauf, former creator, host, and producer of Handy Talk, the first interactive internet radio program to discuss the needs of the blind and visually impaired. I'm excited to oversee a radio station that specializes in the needs and interests of the visually impaired community, said Michael Lauf, Samnet radio station manager. The combination of music, homegrown podcasts, access technology news and interviews, and interactive talk shows all on one radio station will make us like no other entity in the world. The inaugural broadcast will stream live on Wednesday, January 28th from the Internet Cafe of the Assistive Technology Industry Association, ATIA, Annual Conference in Orlando, Florida. Those unable to attend ATIA can hear what is happening at the event and stay abreast of news announced at the show. Reactions to the first broadcast will also be discussed during the next installment of Serotalk. Saratex podcast and interactive blog. For more information about Saratalk, visit the web at serotalk.com. To add the RSS feed for Saratalk to your web browser, newsreader, or podcatcher, visit the web saratalk.com slash feed. Saratech Corporation is a leading technology company that develops software and manufactures accessibility solutions under the System Access brand. Committed to the mission of providing accessibility anywhere, Saratech began with the launch of the first online community specifically designed to meet the needs of people with visual impairment. Since then, Saratech has introduced several powerful affordable solutions that require minimal training and investment. For more information, visit the web, S-E-R-O-T-E-K dot com. Page 48, N-Vision, America, Inc. offers script talk. When a person who is sight impaired places a prescription bottle on the script talk unit, a digitally generated voice reads the prescription label out loud, articulating the drug name, dosage, instructions, warnings, and contraindications, pharmacy information, doctor's name, and more. A thin antenna and microchip embedded within the label are programmed with all the printed information. Because the data is stored in the label itself, it can be used on any size, bottle, box, vial, tube, or other container. Page 49. The result is that people with sight impairments are able to manage their own medical concerns in a safe and private manner through a technology-enabled product that is specifically designed to be affordable and very easy to use. Already installed in all of the Veteran Administration outpatient pharmacies, Script Talk is recognized by the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs as an assistive technology that helps independent living veterans who are unable to read their own prescriptions. The simplicity of the Script Talk design also extends into the pharmacy, where a Script Talk base unit connects to a computer via USB or serial port to interface with existing Windows-compatible software. Pharmacists upload prescription data from standard pharmacy management software to the Script Talk device. With a simple button press, a special radio frequency identification tag label is encoded with all pertinent information. At home, the sight-impaired patient uses a similar device to hear this information. Envision America, Inc. has developed Script Talk and will work with your pharmacist to help them initiate this service. Script Talk is lightweight and portable, uses a natural voice, comes with an earphone jack for privacy, operates with one touch, reads a label as many times as needed, and has adjustable volume. 
Scriptoff costs $495 for the pharmacy and $225 for individual users. For more information, contact Envision America, Inc. by phone at 800-890-1180, by fax at 300-452-3643. Visit Envision America on the web at envisionamerica.com. Page 50, New Navigation and Information Technology. The step here, S-T-E-P hyphen H-E-A-R system, provides accurate directional information, thus guaranteeing improved wayfinding for people who are blind and visually impaired in accessing transit facilities, transportation, public buildings, and other points of interest. With its simple-to-use, low-cost design, the step here system will enhance the lives of users who are blind and visually impaired across the globe. The step here system is based on radio frequency, RF, technology and is comprised of two units, a transmitter base and a small receiver activator installed at strategic locations. The base sends out a continuous signal. Page 51. When the activator held by the user is within the range of the base, it vibrates and beeps. Pressing a button on the activator will trigger a pre-recorded voice message from the base. This helps the user to obtain information and become oriented toward the location, be it an office, an elevator, or a bus. The Step Here system can be used virtually anywhere. Government and municipal buildings, post offices, schools and universities, museums, conferences and exhibitions, hospitals, nursing homes, banks, ATM machines, stores, hotels, transportation vehicles, recreational places, and more. Designed with universal recognition, users will ultimately be able to use their activators anywhere in the world, simplifying and enhancing international travel. Base units available for as low as $130 and activators for as low as $25. Leading organizations for the blind and visually impaired are already coming forward to subsidize the cost of the system. For information, contact Yale Furman, Managing Director, Step Here Limited, on the web at step-agar.com, Y-A-E-L at stephere.com, telephone 972-3571-0794, fax 972-3571-0680. Page 52, new version of SmartView from HumanWare. HumanWare released the latest software version of the SmartView Graduate, a video magnifier that helps students who have low vision fully participate in class. One of the significant improvements in this release is the addition of support for split screens and zero-delay video when running in conjunction with Zoom text screen magnification software. The split-screen functionality lets users see magnified images from the graduate camera in one half of their computer screen and other applications in the other half. Zoom text operates normally in magnifying application windows on one side, while on the other the graduate application completely controls the magnification of camera images. No specific configuration of Zoom text is required. With the introduction of the zero-delay video architecture in this release, the SmartView graduate avoids any lag time between an image changing and it being displayed on the computer screen. Without this feature, delays of up to two seconds are common for video magnifiers working in conjunction with Zoom text. 
Page 53. Other new features include ability to save four preset views and a simplified installation. Each preset view includes settings for color combinations, image rotation, contrast, and brightness. This can significantly reduce the time required to switch between desktop and distant views, as all save parameters for either position can be changed with a simple press of a button. To help new users get the most from their SmartView graduate, HumanWare is also announcing the availability of a set of online video tutorials. These videos demonstrate how to set up the unit for optimal use, basic commands, saving images, and how to use preset views. Both the SmartView graduate software release 1.2 and the instructional tutorials are immediately available for free download on HumanWare's website. The SmartView Graduate is the perfect companion for any student or traveling professional. It is ideally suited for people with low vision who need to see things on their desk or across the room. Since the SmartView Graduate gets its power from your laptop's USB ports, it can be used just about anywhere you take your laptop. The SmartView Graduate can be easily operated from your computer keyboard, zoom in, change high contrast color combinations, and save images with simple keystrokes. The SmartView Graduate's camera easily turns and rotates, allowing the user to view items on their desktop or a whiteboard across the room. Images can be magnified up to 50 times their normal size. The unit can be taken apart and put into a computer bag or its optional case in less than a minute, making it extremely easy to carry. For more information, call toll-free at 1-800-722-3393 or 925-680-7100 or email us.info at humanware.com. Page 54, Recipe, Tomato Crab Soup. Editor's Note, this soup was made in a crock pot and brought to our luncheon at our office. One can of tomato soup, one can of cream of mushroom soup, one can of cream of celery soup, one half cup cooking sherry, two tablespoons Worcestershire sauce, five drops hot sauce, one quart half and half, can use fat free, two cans crab meat, blend together and heat in crock pot or on the stove. Page 55, Requests for Contributions. CCLVI gratefully accepts contributions from readers and members to help pay for the costs of publishing vision access, the costs related to our 800 line and Project Insight, and for funding the Carl E. Foley and Fred Scheiger Scholarships. Please send contributions to CCLVI Treasurer Mike Godino, 104 Tilrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-2040. Our text ID number is 1317540. Resources. AFONT, CAPS, A-P-H-O-N-T. On the web at aph.org slash products slash aphont dot html. Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology on web at coataccess.org. Envision America, Inc., 800-890-1180, fax 300-452-3643 on the web at envisionamerica.com. Humanware, 800-722-3393-925-680-7100, us.org. I-N-F-O at humanware, H-U-M-A-N-W-A-R-E dot com. 
IRS 800-906-9887 on the web at irs.gov. Follow the homepage link to accessibility, then the link to accessible IRS tax products, and select the appropriate link to download accessible forms or publications. Resource booklet, Stark County, Ohio, at... C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-U at sbcglobal.net, phone 800-733-2258. Page 56, CAPS S-A-M-N-E-T radio on the web at radio.samobile.net slash also r-a-d-i-o dot S-A-M-O-B-I-L-E dot net. Cero Talk on the web at S-E-R-O-T-A-L-K dot com slash Serotech on the web at S-E-R-O-T-E-K dot com. Step Here, Yale Furman, Managing Director on the web at S-T-E-P dash A-T-A-R dot com. Y-A-E-L at S-T-E-P dash A-T-A-R dot com. Phone 972 10794 Facts 972-3-5710680 Talks for Verizon Wireless on the web at verizonwireless.com slash accessibility Visit a Verizon Wireless communication store Call 1-800 Arabic number 2 Caps J-O-I-N-I-N or the web at verizonwireless.com, customer service, 800-922-0204. Teleconference calls about low vision, 866-633-8538, ID number 372455, or Dr. Bill. WGBH, access at wgbh.org, phone 617-300-3700. On the web at main.wgbh.org slash wgbh slash pages slash mag slash resources slash accessible dash dvds dot html. Wind in the Willows on the web at pbs.org slash wgbh slash masterpiece slash willows slash audio dot html. Page 57, Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, 2009 membership application, space for name, then address next city, state, and zip code, also country, phone, and email. Membership status, I am, check, new member, renewing my membership, life member of CCLBI, life member of ACB. Visual status, IMA, check, person with low, no vision, or fully sighted person. I wish to receive the CCLVI publication vision access in choose format, large print, cassette, email, CD, do not send. Please send the American Council of the Blind Braille Forum in choose large print, email, cassette, braille, computer disk, do not send. Dues structure payable in up to three annual installments. Choose individual $15, organization or agency $25, life member $150. Payment due 
Choose annual dues, life membership dues, fuller installment, additional donations, and total amount. Make check or money order payable to CCLVI and send to CCLVI Treasurer Mike Godino, 104 Tilrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-20. Page 57, Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, 2009 membership application, space for name, then address next city, state, and zip code, also country, phone, and email. Membership status, I am, check, new member, renewing my membership, life member of CCLVI, life member of ACB. Visual status, IMA, check, person with low, no vision, or fully sighted person. I wish to receive the CCLVI publication vision access in choose Format, large print, cassette, email, CD, do not send. Please send the American Council of the Blind Braille Forum in. Choose large print, email, cassette, braille, computer disc, do not send. Dues structure payable in up to three annual installments. Choose individual $15, organization or agency $25, life member $150. Payment due. Choose annual dues, life membership dues, fuller installment, additional donations, and total amount. Make check or money order payable to CCLVI and send to CCLVI Treasurer Mike Godino, 104 Tilrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-2024. Page 58. Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201, phone 800-733-2258, on the web at cclvi.org. Officers and Directors, 2008-9, President John Horst, 08-10, first term, 249 Holly Street, Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, 17022, Home phone 717-367-6328, work 877-617-7407, or PCB1 at paonline.com. First Vice President Richard Rueda, Union City, California 94587. Second Vice President Barbara Milliville, Vienna, Virginia 22180. Secretary Kathy Casey, Albany, New York 12209. Treasurer Mike Godino, Malvern, New York 11565. Past President Bernice Kendarian, Mountain View, California 94040. Directors Coletta Davis, Anaheim, California 92806. Lisa Drzewicki, Freeport, New York, 11520. Lindsay Hastings, San Diego, California, 92129. Jim Girac, Omaha, Nebraska, 68105. Jesse Johnson, Jacksonville, Florida. Jane Cardis, Ukiah, California, 95482. Brian Petrates, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46268. Donna Pomerantz, Pasadena, California, 91106. Fred Scheigert, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Editor Joyce Kleiber, Wayne, Pennsylvania. Webmaster Joel Isaac, Ranto Palos Verdes, California, 90275. Page 59, Chapter Contacts, California Council of Citizens with Low Vision, CCCLV, Bernice Kandarian, President, 650-969-3155, Bernice, B-E-R-N-I-C-E, at tsoft.net.
Delaware Valley Council of Citizens with Low Vision, DVCCLV, Joyce Kleiber, phone 610-688-8398, JMKLEIBER at hotmail.com. Florida Council of Citizens with Low Vision, FCCLV, Barbara Grill, phone 941-966-7056, GRILLBH at Comcast.net. Metropolitan Council of Low Vision Individuals, MCLVI, Ken Stewart, President, 845-986-2955, cclvi at yahoo.com. National Capital Citizens with Low Vision, NCCLV, Barbara Milleville, President, phone 703-645-8716, nccLV at yahoo.com. New York State Council of Citizens with Low Vision, NYSCCLV, Kathy Casey, President, 518-462-9487, KCASEY03 at nycap.rr.com.